This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, could the Wizards stave off elimination again? Could the Orioles make it two wins in a row? A legendary college coach will call it quits after this coming season. The Celtics are looking for a new head coach and another ugly on-ice incident in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All of that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Whatever the kids are doing these days. And whenever you want, feel free. I encourage you to drop me a line. Got a question, comment, opinion, anything we talk about, anything you want to bring up, it's right there for you. Taking your calls on the rush line as well, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app, we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just so you, yes, you, can go back and check out any part of any show we've ever done. If you missed anything, it's all right there. It's it's for We do it for you. Because I don't want to listen to myself again. I don't do it for me, that's for sure. So <laughs> all you got to do is download that free, which is the best kind of app, a free Podbean app on your phone or tablet, and uh, bada-boom, bada-bing, there you go. All right, lots to get to today. So let's kick off today's show as we kick off every single show with a rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with the NBA playoffs, game six. Actually, is it game six or was it five? My math is off. It was game five, wasn't it? Yeah, it's not game. It wasn't game six. The Wizards were trying to <laughs> they were trying to force a game six, but it was indeed game five between the Wizards and 76ers in Philly, Washington, trying to stave off elimination for a second straight game. Here's Seth in on Hachimura. Rui slips down and Curry with another pull-up. Timeout Washington. Curry has put the Sixers up by 16. 28 points for Seth Curry. The call on 97-5, the Fanatic career playoff high, 30 points for Seth Curry as the Sixers beat the Wiz 129-112 to to win the series four games to one. Bradley Beal had 32 points. Uh, Russell Westbrook had 24 uh, for Washington. Uh, They are now done, season over, nice little run. Expected more. Since the Sixers did not have Joel Embiid, but was not the case. So Sixers win the series. They move on to the second round to uh, take on the Hawks. The Wizards, uh, they're done. 
In Major League Baseball, could the Orioles make it two straight wins following their 14-game losing streak? Center field, that's deep, and it's out of here! Ryan Mountcastle gives the Orioles some major breathing room with a three-run shot. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet 6-3, the final O's win back-to-back games for the first time since April 30th and May 1st. DJ Stewart hit a two-run home run for Baltimore. Apparently, my typing skills were lacking this morning. O's have tonight off before opening a weekend series at home against Cleveland. Elsewhere, the Nationals and Braves played the third game of their four-game set in Atlanta. 2-2, and Jan Gomes hits one. High in the air, deep left center. See you later. Number five for the Nats catcher. And now the Nats land a blow to go back on top. Bob Carpenter, the call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet. That solo homer by Jan Gomes in the eighth inning gave Washington a 4-3 lead, and they went on to win the game 5-3. Juan Soto, a two-run homer, and John Lester on only three days rest allowed just one run in five and two-thirds innings for the Nats. Brad Hand worked in ninth inning for his ninth save in 11 chances. Final game of the series this afternoon, Patrick Corbin gets the start for Washington. Catch the game right here on this very station pregame at 11.50. Now, before last night's game, the Nationals, and stop me if you've heard this one before, placed Steven Strasburg on the 10-day injured list with a neck strain. He was complaining of neck and shoulder tightness before his last start. This is his second trip to the IL already. This season. And the Pirates were off yesterday. They open a four-game series tonight against the Marlins at PNC Park. In high school baseball, Frankfurt moved to 2-0 in section play with a 10-0 win over Grafton yesterday. The game was called after four innings because of rain, uh, very heavy rain. Ben Nestor allowed just two hits and struck out seven for FHS. The Falcons will now have to wait around and see who they host for the section final. Grafton will play the winner of the Berkeley Springs-Kaiser game. That game was suspended in the second inning yesterday because of rain, with Berkeley leading 5-3. They'll try to finish it today, and with the forecast, I see a good luck with that. In AAA, Hampshire lost to Washington 7-1. Trojans will take on the loser of today's Washington-Jefferson game in an elimination in an say, say that five times fast in an elimination game tomorrow. I mean, I, I got to practice that in an elimination game. Too many N's and M's in there uh, for my brain to process. And in Class A, Petersburg edged Pendleton County three-two, and top-seeded Moorfield rolled over Tucker County in five innings, fifteen to nothing. In high school softball, Kyra Pittman struck out 14 and allowed just two hits as Allegheny shut out Southern 9-0. Samara Funk had a two-run homer, and Pittman helped herself with a solo shot for the campers. In the West Virginia Class A sectionals, Petersburg rolled over East Hardy 20-3. Lauren Alt had two three-run home runs for the Vikings. In double-A, the Kaiser-Berkeley Springs game was suspended by rain. 
Again, they'll try to finish that today. And in AAA, Hampshire, no match for Jefferson, uh, losing 18-1. And one college basketball note, West Virginia will welcome an old foe to the Coliseum this season. When it hosts UConn as part of the Big East Big 12 battle, uh, that game will go down on December 8th. The Mountaineers are 6-16 and all-time against their old uh, Big East foes. They haven't played each other since uh, 2014. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. All right, so uh, we'll jump into the Wizards here real quick. But first of all, the Nationals and Steven Strasburg. My goodness. Here's a guy with all the talent in the world. We know that. We've seen it. But, man, he just can't stay healthy. Like, when we look back on Steven Strasburg's career, it's just going to be filled with several trips to the IL or, back in the day, the DL. I honestly can't remember, and it may be more recent than I think, but I can't remember the last time he pitched a full season. It just seems like every time you turn around, there's something wrong with Steven Strasburg, a shoulder, an elbow, uh, a neck issue. Like the most current one is a neck issue, a neck strain. And he's just one of those, and it's not his fault. Some players are just like that. Some players are just snake-bitten. Bitten by the old injury bug. It, it's, it doesn't mean that he's... And some people, unfortunately, see it like that. Oh, well, he's he's soft. He's weak. He's fragile, right? It's just, some guys, it just happens. You know, we talked about James Conner when he was still with the Steelers. Always hurt. Always hurt. I remember how, how excited everybody was in Pittsburgh whenever the Steelers drafted Connor. Of course, he, you know, was from the Erie PA area, played college ball at Pitt. Steelers drafted him, thought he might be something, you know, I don't know if you want to say special, but a good player. But he, he could never stay on the field. And now he's in Arizona. And Strasburg, you know, can't stay on the mound. For as good as he is, for as dominant he as he could be, he just can't stay healthy. Some guys are just like that. Some guys are just always dealing with a strain here, right? A, a tweak, a tweak ligament there, a tweak muscle here, a strain that it's always something. And with Strasburg, it's just always something. So he's back on the IL. Eric Fetty. Uh, should be coming off the uh, 10-day IL soon. Uh, he's on the list uh, because of an illness. So he is likely to take a Strasburg spot in the rotation. So the Nationals right now, all kinds of issues with their pitching. That's why John Lester had to pitch on three days rest. You know, David Martinez said on Sunday, they're like they're banging their heads off the wall because they don't know what they're, they're going to do. Constantly shuffling their pitchers around. And, you know, so he went to John Lester and said, hey, just give us what you can. And Lester was daggone good yesterday on three days rest. What would I say? A five and two-thirds? Only one run in five and two-thirds? He was one out away from matching his longest outing of the season on three days rest. So that's impressive. 
So now the Nats, they're going to have to do some more shuffling because Strasburg back to the IL again. It really is incredible. It's, I can only imagine how frustrating it is for him. Not, not Because he's a competitor. If you, if you are a true competitor, you want to be on the field. You want to be there for your team, for your teammates. And he just, he just can't. So we'll see. We'll, hopefully for the Nats, that 10-day is only 10 days and doesn't turn into something worse. Going back to the Wizards, and I, I said this yesterday, I really thought they had a chance to force a game six back in Washington. You know, when the news came out that Joel Embiid was doubtful to play last night, would not be in the Sixers lineup, I really thought that that would give the Wizards an extra boost. Something to put them over the top. And again, I know the game was in Philly. But what I, I, I did not expect them to give up 129 points last night. Especially without Embiid in that lineup. Now, a bunch of guys stepped up for Philly, so you have to give them credit for that. As I said in the Rock Around the Region, Seth Curry, 30 points, most ever for him in a playoff game. And funny story behind that, he was actually challenged by Ben Simmons earlier in the day yesterday. They were <laughs> they were playing Call of Duty. And as they're playing, Simmons challenged Curry. He said, hey, you go ahead and score 30 points tonight, and I'll do my part by getting a triple-double. Curry got the 30, and Simmons got the triple-dub. 19 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. Not to mention some solid defense in, in the first half. Tobias Harris got into the mix with 28 points. Even Tyrese Maxey, the rookie, scored nine points in the first half for the Sixers' all-around team effort for Philly without their big guy in the game. Here's ESPN's uh, Tim Legler. Let's be clear. The Wizards are a porous defensive team. They're pretty undisciplined. That's going to help in this situation, home crowd help. But what they really needed were a couple of their other offensive players to have big nights, and they got that. Tobias Harris was fantastic, and he has had a great year. He has struggled at times in the postseason. He had a rough night the other night when Embiid went down, more than atoned in this one. And then you're going to need that other guy. Who's it going to be? In this one, it was Seth Curry. And this was the best game he's had all season. You could not have asked for better timing. And then the last component, who's going to be that X factor we didn't expect to get a burst from? And clearly it was Maxi. This guy is a crowd favorite. He comes in as soon as he stands up to take his warm-ups off. The place <laughs> goes crazy. He's just one of those guys because he plays with a bounce and an energy. And tonight, he not only had bounce and energy, he had production. Mm-hmm. They needed that. But be clear, the Wizards are a different team than what they are going to get in the next round. Yeah, the Sixers get the Hawks in the next round. We'll talk about that uh, later on in the hour. Uh, Bradley Beal had 32 for the Wizards. Uh, Russell Westbrook, 24 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. So he was two boards shy of yet another triple-double. Uh, Westbrook said after the game he was proud of the team for never giving up during a season that definitely had its uh, rough patches. Nobody quit. Uh, and to me, that's, that shows so much when you have a group of guys that when everybody said that we weren't able to do something um, and got challenged and I challenged everybody in the locker room, nobody quit. Nobody gave up. Nobody gave in. 
I'm just proud of overall that teams didn't want. They were third guys, GB guys, first year guys that nobody else wanted. Um, and we, we put together a team that people wasn't afraid to play us, honestly. And, you know, that's something we should be proud of. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of everybody in the locker room and just thankful to be able to have a group of guys that embrace me uh, so well, you know, from day one. So while the Sixers move on to the next round, that's their future. The Wizards look towards their future, which is a bit uncertain. Head coach Scott Brooks, uh, he just coached the final game on his five-year contract. Don't know if he'll be back. He said he wanted to stay in Washington. Uh, Westbrook gave his stamp of approval saying, quote, I don't see why Scott should go anywhere, end quote. And remember, they were together as coach player with the Thunder in OKC. And Westbrook has a soft spot for Scott Brooks. So we'll see if Brooks goes elsewhere, if he has an opportunity to go elsewhere, or he stays in Washington, if Washington wants him back. We'll see. Beal may be a different story. He's been in Washington for, what now, nine seasons? And he is heading into the final year of his contract. And he was asked after last night's game uh, what the future might hold for him whether it be in Washington or somewhere else. I mean, I haven't even – I mean, we're not going to think about that or even talk about it right now. Uh, the biggest thing for me is we we battled the whole year. You know, we didn't start off the year the way we wanted to. Uh, it was frustrating all around for everybody. I was frustrated at times, but uh, I'm a I'm a very optimistic and I, I persevered through a lot of adversity, and uh, I think we did that as a team. So, for me, uh, I think we just – best put ourselves in a position to win, you know, and uh, we may do what we had at times. You know, we had a lot of guys out, a lot of different lineups throughout the year. Um, so for the most part, you know, I just, I was happy with that. You know, I was happy with the fact we competed and, you know, we gave ourselves a chance at the end of the year. Uh, we obviously still need to get better. There's still a lot. We have a lot of room for improvement all across the board, but uh, I haven't thought about none of that. So the Wizards have two very important things to worry about in the offseason. Their head coach and their best player. <laughs> Not exactly a position that you want to be in as an organization. Obviously, the most important of the two, or the more important of the two, is Bradley Beal. No offense to Scott Brooks, but if you have a choice to retain one of those two, you got to take care of Beal. Again, one more year left. And now we got to kind of pay attention and wait and see what happens. Do the Wizards try to get something done in the offseason? Resign them, lock them down. So heading into next season, they got nothing to worry about. Does he go into the final season on the last year of his contract? Does he try to play through it? Do they try to work something out during the season? I don't know what the whole what the dates are, the, the the rules are in the NBA as far as contracts and negotiating and stuff like that. I have no idea. If he goes and plays on the final year, they're not going to let him walk for nothing. So will they trade him? If he doesn't want to come back to Washington, if he's had enough, if he wants to go somewhere else, he's like he's been there for nine years. What, what, what are the averages here? 31.3, something like that. Just over 31 points a game. Second leading scorer in the NBA this year. Does he want to stay in Washington? Are there pieces to build around? 
What if they bring in a new head coach? Then what? The ball is definitely in Bill's court right now. He holds all the cards because he could choose to play this final year and then go somewhere else. Free agent deal, take your pick. Go somewhere where you might have a better chance to win. The Wizards could be decent. They can be decent next year. You had glimpses of what they could do this year with Westbrook and Beal on the lineup at the same time. Is Scott Brooks the guy to get it done? I don't know. But definitely uh, two important pieces to take care of. Uh, two pieces of the puzzle for the Wizards, a head coach and Bradley Beal. With the Wizards losing last night, oh, by the way, that means a team with a losing record still hasn't won a playoff series since the 1987 Supersonics. That makes it 31 straight series losses for teams with losing records. All right, when we come back, we mentioned the Sixers and their second-round opponent. Could the Knicks come back against the Hawks? Could the Hawks seal the deal last night to make a date with Philly in the second round? We'll talk about it next. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I just got done putting a wrap on the Sixers-Wizards game last night. The Sixers putting a wrap on the Wizards season, knocking them out of the playoffs in five games. The Sixers move on to the second round. The Wizards now, well, they go home. And they try to figure out how to get Bradley Bill to re-sign and maybe Scott Brooks head coach as well. The Sixers, after beating the Wizards, question then was, who would they take on in the second round? Would it be the Knicks or the Hawks? Atlanta was in New York last night trying to close out that series. Now Trey dribbling in the middle. Let's go with a long three. And he nails it. Trey Young right in Spike Lee's face. And the Hawks hit the three. And the Hawks lead it 101 to 86. 39 seconds to go. The call on 92 9. The game, 36 points, nine assists for Trey Young. 103 89, the final. The Hawks blow out the Knicks to win the series uh, four games to one. After that three ball by Trey Young, he, uh, he took a bow in front of the MSG crowd which had been less than hospitable uh, during the series. I mean, the bow is something I did. I did in high school after I hit a game winner. And um, leading up to this game, uh, I knew I know where we are. I know it's a bunch of shows around this city. And I know what, what they do when the show is over. So that's pretty much what it was. So. Show is over, baby. I love it. I love it. You don't take no gruff from nobody. He actually did a little uh, earlier in the game. The Knicks crowd was giving him some business, and he turned and he kind of did a little a spitting motion. Remember, uh, there was a, a clown Knicks fan that spit on Young or tried to spit on him earlier in the series. Young giving it right back, and I love it, especially against the Knicks. So it'll be Sixers and Hawks in the second round. Uh, Tim Legler says, 
that Philly will face a much better defense in round two than they did against Washington. Atlanta has become an elite defensive team under Nate McMillan. So they now are a team that's going to challenge you defensively. But the one thing Philadelphia has going for it, John, I think they've got more perimeter defenders to bother Trey Young than any team in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. When you start talking about throwing a 6'10 point guard at yeah. Trey Young, you start talking about a guy like Matisse Thibel, who is an all-league caliber defender. Maxi is a guy expected to get a lot of minutes in that series. Danny Green is a guy that made his bones in this league as a defender before he started making big threes in the finals. So they can run a stable of defenders at Trey Young. That is going to be the key to the entire series because Trey Young has turned into a legitimate star offensive player. He can control the games just like the other star players we talk about around this league, and he does it consistently every night. But the one thing he can be prone to is having some inefficient shooting nights. You've got to keep this guy 40% or under. If he gets up into 45 to 50% from the field, I don't think Philadelphia can win this series without a 100% Joel Embiid. All right, uh, just real quick, big man for big man. What can we get from Dwight Howard, especially because he's going back to Atlanta? Yeah, he, again, man, you talk about energizing a team. His uh -huh. rim protection, particularly in his closeout game, he's another guy that he just beats you up on the glass. And when you have that kind of pressure on the perimeter, like I talked about with what they can present, right. you're funneling it somewhere. And if it's a beat on the court, obviously, that's a top-shelf rim protector. And if he's not, you've got Dwight Howard back there. That's the elements for defensively what you need against Atlanta. Question is going to be, do you get a healthy Embiid? Because they're not going to score this many points without him against a team like Atlanta that has locked in defensively, and they were so impressive against the Knicks and what they did to Julius Randle. And that's the thing that bothered me about the Wizards game, is the fact that they allowed 129 points to a Sixers team without Joel Embiid. I never, I never saw that coming. Not that the Wizards were great defensively anyway throughout the season, especially with Westbrook on the court. Westbrook was a minus 21 last night. Point differential. When he was on the floor, when he was on the floor, the Wizards were a minus 21. Much tougher task for the Sixers in the second round especially if Embiid can't get there in the next few games. I still think the Sixers win the series. It may be a little bit tougher without Embiid. It may go a little longer. But I think the way it's shaping up now, we are on a collision course. Eastern Conference Final, uh, Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I, I don't think the Bucs can beat the Nets. If the Nets have their, their big three, which they barely had all regular season, and we mentioned that yesterday, that the Bucs took two or three from the Nets in the regular season, but that, they didn't have the big three there. It's shaping up to be a Sixers-Nets uh, Eastern Conference Final. Uh, there was one other series last night. Another team had the potential, the possibility, uh, to close things out, and uh, Utah did just that. Donovan with his Don one shoes on and his black socks with a yellow back. Works in a right-hand dribble off a double stagger. Retreats out, guarded by Brooks. Off balance, still keeping the dribble alive. Three on the shot clock. Pulls up for an off balance, Jay, and hit! Oh, my goodness, Donovan Mitchell, how do you do? How do you do? The... the <laughs> The call on 97.5 The Zone, I've never heard a guy doing play-by-play -play describe a player's shoes 
as the play is going on. Play, play that again. Donovan with his Don one shoes on and his black socks with the yellow back works in a right hand dribble. He's talking about dude choosing his socks as the play's going on. Anyway, <laughs> Jazz uh, take care of the Grizzlies, one twenty six to one ten. They win this series four games to one. They move on to the second round. Donovan Mitchell, 30 points, six boards, uh, 10 assists for Utah. Here he is after the game with the TNT group. I think it was definitely, you know, on the forefront of our brain. You know, there's, even though we had a big lead, we're still like, you know, we've, we've been here before. We were up 15 against Denver in the, going into halftime and ended up losing that game. So uh, we came out with a sense of urgency, one through 17, man. And we, we, we competed, we fought, and we knew they were going to come out and continue to fight and compete. So, you know, we, we took care of business. We did what we're supposed to do, and job's not done. we got to continue to go ahead and, and do the same thing next round. And you talk about your team in the sense of urgency, but what about you individually? That first five minutes, man, you came out there like a man on a mission. Did you just say, hey, listen, i got to show my team that we, we can't let what happened last year happen again? Did you feel like it was all on you? Yeah, I think, you know, as the leader of this team, you got to go set the, set the tone, set an example. Um, I, knew guy, I knew our guys were going to come out there and compete and fight, but, you know, it's one thing to say it and go out there and do it. You know, that was my biggest thing, just trying to attack, be aggressive, make the right reads, make the right plays. And that was really my mindset throughout the whole uh, start of the game and throughout the whole game because, you know, like I said, we've been here before and, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. And we got to go out there and have the same execution, the same intensity for uh, – Next round. And what about your health? We all want to know how you're feeling right now. Obviously, you missed a lot of time in April. You got back. You started to get your legs underneath you. How are you feeling right now? Body's a little sore, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been 40 days, and then you go ahead and play in the playoffs. So just trying to find my rhythm, uh, I think, is the biggest thing for me, just trying to continue to find. I think tonight was, was a good start. You know, I hadn't really shot it well all series, but I was doing little things to get my teammates involved and be aggressive. And, you know, we got time off, so I'm going to continue to rep out and get my body stronger and, and, and get ready for this next run. So Utah closes it out. Remember, Mitchell didn't play in the first game of the series which was a little bit controversial. He was cleared to play medically, but he got sat down anyway, and they lost that game. Gets back into the lineup, game two, three, four, and five, and they win all four. Not a coincidence. He had 26. They talked about him getting out of the gate fast. He had 26 of his 30 in the first half last night. So Utah moves on. There was a fourth game last night. This one, not a series decider. It was the Mavs at the Clippers. That series tied at 2-2, making this, of course, as we say in the business, a pivotal Game 5. Dodges left to right, dragging left, stepping back, straight away, three, good! 12-point game! Doncic with 40! Luka Doncic. His name is Luka. And he'll drop 42 points on your face. The Mavericks beat the Clippers in L.A. 105-100. to They take a three-games-to-two lead in that first-round series. Luka, 42 points, eight boards, 14 assists. Man, just got to love Luka. Game six back in Dallas of the Mavs, a chance to close things out. Odd thing about this series, the road team has won every single game so far. So one would expect the Clippers to go to Dallas for Game 6 and win that game and force a Game 7 back in L.A. Who knows? But Luka goes off. Paul George, by the way, 23 points, 10 boards, 
uh, for the Clips. The Mavericks. Luca. He lives on the second floor. Stick around, WCMT. This is the Morning Rush. Talking NBA most of this hour. Four games last night, three series uh, going in the books. As the Jazz, the Hawks, the Sixers move on, the Mavs take a 3-2 series lead over the Clips. Two games tonight, both out west. The Nugs are in Portland, Denver, an opportunity to close out that series. They lead the Blazers three games to two. And the Suns in L.A., a chance to close out LeBron and the defending champions. The Suns lead the Lakers in that series three games to two. Last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs, an ugly, ugly incident in the jets Canadiens game. He shoots it down. There won't be any icing, though, because Evans is way ahead of everybody. He's behind the net, comes out, rips it in, and scores. He gets ran into and hammered by Shifley, and Evans is in trouble. Evans is face down on the ice and hasn't moved as Shifley smoked him after he scored into that empty net, and Shifley knew exactly what he was doing right there. Evans was coming out and really unprotected, and Shifley just went right over top of him, and Jake Evans is in a heap of trouble, it looks like, from this vantage point. That was the call on TSN 690. Jake Evans taken off the ice on a stretcher after just a ridiculously dangerous and dirty hit. In case you don't know, by the way, Evans plays for Montreal. Uh, Mark Shifley plays for Winnipeg. And I haven't seen something like this in, in a while. This was one of the worst things I've ever seen because Evans came out from behind the net to tuck in, and it was an empty net. The the goaltender was pulled. Shifley, if you watch the video I saw on Twitter, because the camera was on him the entire way, Shifley went 200 feet. He went goal line to goal line and absolutely blew up Evans as he scored in the empty net. There was absolutely no attempt to play the puck. There was no attempt to stick a stick out and prevent Evans from scoring in the empty net. Shifley went 200 feet with his sole intent of blowing him up after he scored. That's what it was. Uh, Evans' teammates called the hit disgusting, called it dirty, and it was. And... Now we have to wait and see. Montreal won the game, by the way, 5-3. to three. Now we have to wait and see what the NHL does because Lord knows they've proven in the past that they don't exactly know what they're doing when it comes to punishment. And we talked about this with the Tom Wilson situation against the Rangers. Shifley was given a five-minute major for charging and a game misconduct. And if the NHL has... Any kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, compassion for the players, if they care at all about their players, they got to they gotta throw the book at Shifley. They have to. They have to. It was one of the cheapest shots I've ever seen on a guy who was simply just scoring on an empty net. 
Shifley, and there's a great picture, by the way, on ESPN here. I mean, Shifley's skates are off the ground. He launched himself into Evans. Is, he's, it's not like Evans knew it was coming. He had his head down. He is wrapping it around to score in an empty net. You don't. The one thing you don't expect is to get blown up like that when you are getting ready to score an empty net goal. But that's exactly what happened. Here's ESPN's uh, Barry Melrose. Shifley's a, a tough player, but he's not a dirty player. That is Barry. He doesn't have a long history of, of uh, incidents. This hit was a vicious hit. Uh, no matter what you say, no matter how you try and sugarcoat it, it was a vicious hit. Shifley never played the puck. The puck was on the other side of the net when he made contact with Evans. Uh, he never played the puck once. He was going after Evans the whole time. Uh, and and he, uh, you got charging there. You've got a hit to the head there. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, uh, so many things that you could call. Obviously, you don't want one player threatening another player, but that was out there also, just to show you how the feelings were after the game. So I, I think they will look at this, which they do all five-minute majors, the NHL. I think that Shifley, although he's got a very good history, I think that he will be suspended, and I think he should be suspended. Again, the, the main fact with me is I think he jumped a little bit when he made contact, and also he came back 100 feet at full speed to make yep. contact. Uh, I, I just think that he never you know, gave the player a chance to get his head up. The player never saw, Evans never saw him coming once, and, and that's why he hit his head on the ice also. So uh, all those things combined, I think the NHL will look at a suspension. I think he will be suspended, uh, and that hurts, uh, the, that hurts the Winnipeg Jets big time because he's arguably their best player. So that is the type of hit the NHL is trying to stop. Yeah, you know, it's one thing when you're talking about a guy like Tom Wilson who takes his liberties in closed quarters. Right, Tom Wilson is uh, sneaky dirty. He is. He, he's sneaky dirty. What Shifley did, he went. He went the entire. We talk about hockey players taking runs at somebody. That you'll take a run at someone along the boards. You'll take a run at somebody. I've never seen a player take a full length of the rink run at someone. That's what Shifley did. He went from one end all the way to the other. With the sole purpose, the sole intent of taking Evans out. And that's what he did. And if the NHL has any kind of intestinal fortitude, they'll suspend Shifey for the rest of the series. And I don't think that's over. I don't think that's an exaggeration. You heard Melrose say right there that's the kind of stuff they want to get out of the league. And if so, you got to make the punishment harsh. Now, credit to uh, Evans' teammate, Joel Edmondson, who said, quote, it was a dirty hit, but the league's going to take care of it. If he gets back in the series, he being Shifley, we're going to make his life miserable, end quote. And now you have a situation again, like we had in the Tom Wilson Rangers situation. The NHL didn't take care of it. The NHL didn't properly handle that situation. They only find Wilson. He stays in this in, in the series, and then you had an all-out brawl the next game because the NHL didn't handle business, so the Rangers had to do it themselves. Here we go again with the NHL faced with another situation where either you suspend Shifley for a terrible, dirty, illegal hit 
or you force Montreal to take matters into its own hands and handle Shifley themselves. Hopefully, the NHL learned from the Wilson incident and they suspend Shifley. But, given the NHL, you never know. All right, our number one done. Coming up, what else? Hour number two. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I don't think that's ever happened. We've been doing this show for, what, almost two years now? I don't think I've ever had a sneeze. <clears throat> Tasty. <laughs> How's that to start your morning off? Anyway, where was I? Oh, hour number two, WCMD, uh, brought to you by Thomas Cumberland, where the experience is all about you. Tony C. in the big chair, live and sneezy, in the palatial WCMD studio, high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up, on the south side of the Queen City, baby. Reminder, get involved on the show. Our Twitter page is at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. On the book of faces at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, drop me a line, send me a message, whenever. Taking your calls on the Rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo 301-759-2628. And of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. Just for you. So you can go back. If you missed any show, you can listen. For instance, if you missed the first hour, we talked NBA playoffs. We talked Stanley Cup playoffs. Just download that free Podbean app on your phone or tablet or other such device. And there you go. All right. Uh, let's kick off the second hour as we kick off the first hour with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with the NBA playoffs game five between the Wizards and 76ers in Philly. Washington trying to stave off elimination for a second straight game. Here's Seth in on Hachimura. Rui slips down and Curry with another pull-up. Timeout Washington. Curry has put the Sixers up by 16. 28 points for Seth Curry. The call on 97-5. The Fanatic career playoff high 30 points for Seth Curry as the Sixers beat the Wiz. Don't tell me nobody can beat the Wiz. The Sixers can. 129 to 112. If you get that reference, uh, give yourself uh, four points. 129 112 the final. Uh, Sixers win the series four games to one. Bradley Beal had 32 points. Russell Westbrook, uh, 24 for Washington. In Major League Baseball, could the Orioles make it two straight wins following their 14 game losing streak? Center field, that's deep, and it's out of here. Ryan Mountcastle gives the Orioles some major breathing room with a three-run shot. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet, 6-3. The final O's win back-to-back games. They beat the Twins. They be, uh, they win back-to-back games for the first time since April 30th and May 1st. Uh, DJ Stewart hit a two-run homer for Baltimore, which has tonight off before opening a weekend series at home against Cleveland. Elsewhere, the Nationals and Braves played the third game of their four-game set in Atlanta. 2-2, and Jan Gomes hits one. High in the air. 
deep left center. See you later. Number five for the Nats catcher. And now the Nats land a blow to go back on top. Bob Carpenter, the call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet. That solo homer by Jan Gomes in the eighth inning gave Washington a 4-3 lead. They win the game 5-3. Juan Soto hit a two-run homer. John Lester, on just three days rest, allowed one run in five and two-thirds innings for the Nats. Brad Hand worked the ninth for his ninth save in 11 chances. Final game of the series this afternoon, Patrick Corbin, Gets the start for Washington. Catch the game right here on this very station pregame at 11.50. Now, before the game, and I know this may come as a shock to some of you, the Nationals play Steven Strasburg on the injured list, the 10-day IL with a neck strain. Uh, This is his second trip to the IL already this season. And the Pirates were off yesterday. They open a four-game series tonight against the Marlins at PNC Park. In high school baseball, Frankfurt moved to 2-0 in the section play. I should say section playoff play. With a 10-0 win over Grafton, the game was called after four innings because of heavy rainfall. Ben Nestor allowed just two hits and struck out seven for FHS. The Falcons now have to sit around and wait to see who they host for the section final. Uh, Grafton will play the winner of the Berkeley Springs-Kaiser game. That game was suspended in the second inning because of rain, Berkeley leading 5-3. In AAA, Hampshire lost to Washington 7-1. Trojans will take on the loser of today's Washington-Jefferson game in an elimination game tomorrow. And in Class A, Petersburg edged Pendleton County 3-2, Top-seeded Moorfield rolled over Tucker County in five innings, 15 to nothing. In high school softball, Kyra Pittman, a day after striking out 13, struck out 14 and allowed just two hits as Allegheny shut out Southern 9-0. Samara Funk hit a two-run home run, and Pittman helped herself with a solo shot for the campers. In the West Virginia Class A sectionals, Petersburg, Rolled over East Hardy 20-3. Lauren Alt had two three-run home runs for the Vikings. In double-A, the Kaiser-Berkeley Springs game suspended by rain. And in triple-A, Hampshire was no match for Jefferson, losing 18-1. In high school tennis, uh, this just announced not too long ago, the WVSSAC tweeting out that the state tennis tournament, because of uh, bad weather, will start indoors today. And though several Kaiser and Frankfurt players taking part in the state tennis tournament, they will play, I do believe I saw, uh, in the YMCA. Did I see that right? And I lost the tweet, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, Oh, here it is. It's a miracle I found it. It says, due to weather conditions, the WVSSAC state tennis tournament will start indoors. Triple A will start at the Charleston Tennis Club. Single and double A will start at the YMCA. So there you have it. And uh, one note from college basketball. West Virginia will welcome an old foe to the Coliseum this season when it hosts UConn as part of the Big East Big 12 battle. The game will go down on December 8th 
The Mountaineers are 6-16 and all-time against the Huskies. They haven't played each other since 2014. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by uh, the Caporale Group. Staying with college hoops. News came down yesterday that Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski is retiring at the end of this coming season. Krzyzewski, the winningest coach in Division I men's basketball history, is done after the 2021-22 season. Krzyzewski said in a statement, quote, my family and I view today as a celebration. Our time at both West Point and Duke has been beyond amazing, and we are thankful and honored to have led two college programs at world-class institutions for more than four decades, end quote. John Shire, who played for Coach K from 2006 to 2010, has been named the successor. He will spend this season as a coach in waiting and will take over after that. You talk about (laughs) some massive shoes to fill. John Shire, good luck. We're talking about a cat in Coach K. He's coached 42 years, five national championships. Lord knows how many other trips to the Final Four. Countless numbers of ACC championships. Good luck filling those shoes. Like, that's, like, there are certain jobs. Obviously, you know, it'll be exciting for John Shire. But, man, you talk about pressure. You talk about walking into a pressure-filled situation. That's like when Bill Cowher took over for Chuck Knoll, right? That's like whoever's going to take over for Belichick in New England or taking over for John Wooden. or You know, that's just... It's one thing taking over for a good coach. But when you have to take over for one of the all-time greats, woo! You better do what you can to keep that train on the tracks. So Coach K is uh, done after the, after this season. After this season, not, not not done yet. One chance, one more chance to win that sixth national championship. His his five titles. Oh, by the way, second only to John Wooden's uh, ten national championships. Uh, Jay Billis, ESPN analyst, uh, played. For Coach K. I just think it's time. I think it's any one thing. Uh, he's 74 years old now. He's going to be 75 in February. Uh, he has had an extraordinary run uh, of excellence uh, at Duke, uh, USA Basketball, you name it. Uh, you know, to have coached there for 42 years at that level of sustained excellence, there's never been any coach, I think, in sports that can match that streak uh, of sustained excellence over time. Uh, Coach K has had an an unparalleled career uh, in this game. And one of the things I'm most grateful for is that we're going to get another year with him. That uh, this announcement is being made, that this is his last year. Uh, So there are certainly mixed emotions that I think we all have, that that it's an end of an amazing era. Uh, But at least we get uh, get one more year to watch him on the sidelines in Cameron Indoor Stadium and, and every other arena. 
that's going to be a fantastic farewell tour this season for Coach K. And say what you want about Duke. I know people hate him. They've hated him for years. People have feelings about Duke and Coach Krzyzewski. But you can't deny the greatness. You can't deny what he's what he's done. And when they start play on the ACC circuit, he will be honored everywhere he goes. And he should he should be. Again, whether you love Duke or you hate Duke. I mean, these numbers are absolutely ridiculous for Coach Krzyzewski. Look at this now. He ranks first in Division I, 1,170 wins all time. His teams have made 35 appearances in the NCAA tournament. That is tied for first all time. 35. They missed the tournament this past season for the first time since 1995. He's had 15 30-win seasons. That is first all time. He's made 12 Final Four appearances. That is tied for first all time. He has 14 wins in the Final Four. That's second all time. Five national titles. I told you that's second behind John Wooden. He has produced 41 NBA first round draft picks. That is first all time. You can't argue the numbers. You you can't. You know, we always talk about Mount Rushmore's, right, in, in sports. Krzyzewski is undoubtedly on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. Wooden is obviously up there. Krzyzewski is obviously up there. Who else would you put up there? Who else? Who do you think? Who Who's the other two? Who would you? Bobby Knight, maybe? I know, I know people hate Bobby Knight. I get it. But you can't deny the numbers. Well, who would be the fourth? That would be at least three for me. Wooden, Krzyzewski, Bobby Knight. Who would the fourth be? You want to throw Bayheim in there, maybe? Roy Williams? I don't know. That's, that's, that's a good question. I, I need more time to think about that. But Coach K definitely on that Mount Rushmore. One number I didn't give you is that he's won 97 NCAA tournament games. <laughs> That's number one all time. His teams have spent 126 weeks at number one in the AP Top 25 poll. Guess what? That's first all time. You get the point. What he's done at Duke is nothing short of amazing. Oh, by the way, he's also won uh, three gold medals in the Olympics as well. So there you go. Let's just tack that on for good measure. (laughs) Wonderful, awesome career uh, for Coach K. How many, uh, did you see that? How many uh, ACC? I think it's 12. He won 12 regular season ACC championships. 15 ACC tournament titles, producing 28 NBA lottery picks. Definitely an end of an era coming up here uh, at Duke.
One more year. One more year left for Coach K. Now, uh, I heard this this morning, and I got to play it for you now. Something that had never, ever, ever crossed my mind when talking about Duke and Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Here is uh, ESPN's Bomani Jones. The mark is interesting. Well, he was the personality of a particular run of basketball, like college basketball, and the evolution of it, and basically reducing basketball to individual possessions. And we are going to try to win every single individual possession with a kind of militaristic sort of focus, intensity, and execution. I think that's what it really, like, that's going to be like the official mark. If we really want to get down to the fun stuff, the fun stuff with Duke basketball has always been about race, right? Like, this is the biggest draw in college basketball. They always do the best ratings in college basketball in large part because they were out there, as college basketball was integrating, they were out there beating people with a lot of white dudes, right, at a time where that was becoming rarer and rarer. And if you think that ain't a big part of why Duke is the big brand that it is, you are crazy. But that's the thing that people get uncomfortable talking about. But it's pretty benign, right? Like, if you really go look at it, look who the players were, look who the best players were on those teams, look at those errors, look at the teams that they beat, look at why it is that they became such a polarizing brand for 25 years, and they've kind of watched that off in the last 10 or so. But it all comes down to, at various times, who Duke was recruiting, the reasons why people thought that they were recruiting them, and the success that they did and did not have at various points. That's where this gets to be really interesting. Never in my life have I ever looked at Duke and hated Duke because they had a bunch of white dudes. Maybe it's because I'm a white dude. I don't know. I hated Duke because they won all the time. That's why I hated Duke. I think that's why most people hate Duke. It's because they they win a lot. <laughs> and unless it's your team, right? People love winners when it's your team. If it's somebody else's team, you hate them. That's why everybody outside of New England hated the Patriots. That's why most folks outside of New York hate the Yankees. If your team isn't the one doing the winning, you hate them. Like, never, ever <laughs> did I look at Duke and hate him because they're winning with a bunch of white dudes. If Bamani Jones hated him because of that, that's that's his problem. And, yeah... I guess to his point, Shashevsky won with some pretty good white dudes, mainly Christian Leitner. Leitner, I think, inarguably one of the best college players we've ever seen. We've ever seen. I'm not saying he's the best college player, but he is one of the best college players we've ever seen. We don't label him as one of the greatest white players we've ever seen. But he's one of the greatest players, period. The fact that he happens to be white, what does that have to do with anything? And that he played at Duke. Who else you want to throw out there? You want to throw out uh, J.J. Redick? All right. Redick was pretty good for Duke. He's a white dude. Bobby Hurley? 
I didn't like Bobby Hurley because I just didn't like his face. Hurley just played with an attitude that I couldn't stand. Hurley was, he just cocky. He played with, with, some, with a, a bit of arrogance. And, and so did Leitner, for that matter. Leitner played with, he was very cocky. He very arrogant. Th- and, and they won. <laughs> and they won. That's why I hated Duke. I never, I heard that this morning. I'm like, I, I'd never heard that take before. That Duke was a polarizing program because of the amount of white guys they recruited. I, I just, again, sitting on different sides of the fence, I suppose. I think it's safe to say that Christian Leitner is the best player Duke ever had. I, I think that's fair. But I think it's also safe to say that Grant Hill was their second best player. Last time I checked here, uh, yo, yeah, Grant Hill's still black. Shane Battier, he's got to be up there among the top Duke players ever. Uh, He's black. Johnny Dawkins, yeah. Jason Williams, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. I guess we could throw in Danny Ferry as another great white dude for Duke. I just, I never saw it that way. <laughs> Duke has been great for years and years and years under Shashevsky with a multitude of different players. So yeah, I don't know. That I just that that threw me. That threw me. I, I guess that's what we do these days, right? I guess we just got to throw race into everything. Right? That's just that's what we do. It's not what I do, but I guess that's what other people do. That's what guys like Bomani Jones does. Like, why, why, why does it have to even be an issue? Why does it have to be a, a, a subject? Why does it even have to be brought up? Again, I guess different perspectives bring about different opinions. Maybe if I wasn't a white guy, I would look at it the way Bomani Jones does. Or if he was a white guy, he'd look at it differently. But I never once, and I'll say it again, never once did I look at Duke and hate them because they won with white dudes. I hated them because they won, period. Five national championships, all the trips to the Final Fours, all the ACC championships, the winning after winning after winning after winning. That's why we hated them. And I know, I understand Duke has this, this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, reputation, I guess, just for being a bunch of, here we go, a bunch of rich white kids. Like, if you look at uh, Cameron Indoor, you look at the fan base, and I guess people were turned off by that. I don't know, man. I don't know. Coach Coach K is a great coach. He's the greatest coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Regardless of whoever he recruited and when he recruited him and who he played and on how he won and who he won with, I, I just I don't know why that has to be brought into the conversation. I really don't. I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's a bunch of garbage if you ask me. All right, time for a break. We got news and we got weather coming up. And back with more of the Morning Rush. 
right after this. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. The all-new WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Reminder, uh, coming up later, actually later this morning, a very early start for the Nationals. Uh, They wrap up their four-game series with the Braves in Atlanta. That game, you can catch it right here on this station, pregame at 11.50. Very early start. First pitch right around uh, 12.20. Nats, with a win today, can win that series. Uh, and take three of four from Atlanta. Tomorrow, programming note, it, of course, is Friday. So my main man, Joe Shuda, will have another Rush Friday feature for us. Uh, Tomorrow's subject of the feature, former Major League Baseball player, spent some time in Pittsburgh, Lyle Overbay, will be on the show with Joe uh, tomorrow. Uh, sad note from Hoops, and if you are around my age group, you may remember this name. Eric Mobley, one of only eight uh, Pitt basketball players to ever be taken in the first round of the NBA draft, has passed away. He died at the age of 51. And Mobley, if you are a If you're an astute follower of hoops in the area, Mobley actually played one year at Allegheny College. He played for uh, Bob Kirk in uh, 1989 and 1990, uh, the 89-90 season, before playing three seasons at Pitt. Mobley averaged a little over 10 points, seven boards, two blocks a game at Pitt. And he was taken by the Bucks in the first round of the 94 draft. He was taken 18th overall. Only played three seasons in the NBA. His final two with the, the then Vancouver Grizzlies. And he also played for the uh, Pittsburgh Explosion. The American Basketball Association. I had no idea that was even a thing. Did you? Now we're going back into the, the 90s. I guess the ABA was still around, but I didn't know Pittsburgh had an ABA team, the Explosion. Huh. But anyway, uh, Eric Moe, I I hadn't heard that name in years. But Mobley, one of the better big men that Pitt's ever had. Unfortunately, he passes away at age uh, 51. Uh, Some other uh, hoops news here. A day after getting bounced from the NBA playoffs by the Nets, uh, four games to one, the Celtics uh, started playing some musical chairs. Danny Ainge announced yesterday that uh, he is retiring as the Celtics president of uh, baseball operations. I'm sorry, that would be interesting, seeing as how the Celtics play basketball uh, and not baseball. (laughs) Although Ainge was... He was a pretty darn good uh, baseball player back in the day. Was he not? Didn't he play for the Blue Jays or get signed by the Blue Jays or something like that? I have to look it up. So maybe that's where I got my wires crossed. But he did indeed retire as president of basketball operations for Boston. Today is not a great day. 
I, I wish we would have, you know, finished the year on a, on a much better note. But I feel like there's so much hope in, in the Celtics going forward. And I'm excited for Brad. I think that Brad, he was born for this. It was a, I, I trust my instincts. My instincts told me a couple months ago that it was time for me to move on. And um, that's what's best for us. That's what's best for the Celtics. Now, Ainge, who, believe it or not, and I don't know why this surprised me, he's only 62. I don't know why I thought he'd be older. Maybe because he's been around, it seems like, forever. But he said he started thinking about getting out. He had a mild heart attack back in 2019. And then the last couple of years has been rough for most people because of the pandemic. And he said, it's, it's time to, time to, to, you know, hang it up. So with age moving on, that left the president of basketball operations chair open. And guess who they picked to fill that chair? Celtics head coach, Brad Stevens. My number one thing is for the good of the Celtics. Um, I love the Celtics. I want to do what's best for the Celtics. And, I really have enjoyed coaching. I loved coaching, and I've loved coaching the players, both at Butler and here. At the same time, I think I've got a good idea. One of the benefits of, of moving into this new role is I've got a good idea of what we do and don't do well um, and what can accentuate um, some of our best players. And so there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work ahead. I mean, obviously, there is a whole process uh, that will – um, go through and, and searching for a new coach. That said, as as Danny said, you know, we are in a good place. We have um, a lot of really positive things. And, you know, it's our job to capitalize on that. So Ainge leaves. Stevens takes his spot, which leaves the head coaching spot open <laughs> for the Celtics. Adrian Wojnarowski says it's still a pretty good job in the NBA. Woj! This is still a very good job. This would have been a very good GM job, president's job, if it was opened up. You could have had your choice of any number of top candidates around the league, and I think that'll be the case certainly in coaching. And this is still a team with two all-stars at the top of their lineup, and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and some very good players. But I would imagine that this is probably a hire they're going to have to make from the outside. Ainge uh, did say he's going to work with the team on the transition uh, throughout the offseason. So he's just not walking away completely. He's going to stick around. He'll help Stevens, you know, get situated, get settled. And I'm sure he'll have a say or at least an opinion on who the Celtics hire as their next head coach. And, of course, the Celtics taking some flack because they really didn't waste any time in naming Brad Stevens as a replacement for Ainge. Now, this could have been something that was already in the works. We don't know. It seems quick to us because the news is just, you know, bang, bang. But it could have been something that was – the Celtics may have known that Ainge was leaving – before the announcement yesterday. And so they got their ducks in the row before the end of the season. Like, Ainge could have said something a month ago, two months ago. We don't know. He could have went to ownership and said, you know what, Uh, I'm going to be done after this season's over. 
And those wills could have been put in motion then. And the Celtics could be like, all right, so Danny's going to leave. So when the season's over, you know, let's talk to Brad and see if he wants to take the job. We'll promote him. He knows he knows the organization. He's been a head coach. Just because all the news comes out at one time doesn't mean all the decisions were made at the same time. But the Celtics, well, they're catching flack because all, you know, due process and all that stuff. You know, they, oh, they didn't interview anybody. Maybe they did. Maybe they reached out. Who knows? We don't know what happens behind the scenes. We have no idea. But either way, uh, Stevens is now president of basketball operations uh, for the Celtics, and uh, they will do their due diligence in finding uh, the next head coach for the Seas. All right. Time for uh, one last break, and then we will return to wrap up the hour and the show, for that matter. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. The all-new WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, some news from the uh, Baltimore Ravens camp yesterday. There was a, a Q&A session with season ticket holders. And apparently somebody asked uh, offensive coordinator Greg Roman about Lamar Jackson working under center more this year. And Roman said, yeah. Jackson has worked pretty much you know, exclusively out of the pistol formation for the past three seasons. And uh, Roman said that is definitely going to be part of something they do this year. To what extent, he's not sure. He's not sure of what percentage of the snaps that Jackson will take under center. But it will be more than he has the last three seasons. He says they're working on it. They're evaluating it every day. And uh, Jackson, it says right here, since he took over the starting QB job midway through 2018, he has taken 127 snaps from under center. That is the fewest snaps under center in the entire league among quarterbacks with at least 10 starts. Last season, he was under center for only 4% of his snaps, 36 out of 889. And if you're asking, well, what's the big deal? Well, if you put it under center, then the Ravens could take advantage of ball fakes, fake handoffs, play action, stuff like that. So that's why. So look for Lamar Jackson uh, more under center uh, this coming season. Dan Marino admitting yesterday that he does not want Bill Belichick to get the NFL all-time uh, wins record. Why? Because that would break his old coach's record. Because, of course, Marino played for Don Shula. And uh, Marino said, no, I do not want Bill Belichick to break that record. Shula, uh, he has, or had, excuse me, 328 wins. That's the best in NFL history. The most in the uh, Best, most, whatever. He won 347, including the playoffs. And Belichick is getting close. 
He has 280 wins, which is uh, 48 short of matching Shula's record. So it would take Belichick eh, four solid years, five, you know, okay years to maybe match that record. And Marino said, quote, I hope he don't get it. I'm a Dolphin for life, Coach Shula for life. I don't want him to get it, end quote. I can't tell you how much I love that. Forget about forget about being diplomatic. Forget about, you know, being careful. He just comes out and says, I don't want him to get it. I got no problem with that whatsoever. Marino, of course, how long did he play uh, under Shula? Was it 13 years? 12, 13, something like that? Yeah, here, yeah, guess right. Marino played for 17 years. 13, yeah, okay. So Shula coached Marino the first 13 years of his 17-year career in Miami. All truth being told, uh, I don't want to see him get it either because I don't like Bill Belichick. So there you go. Not that I was the greatest fan of Don Shula back in the day, but I hope he holds the record and <laughs> Belichick doesn't get it. So I wholeheartedly agree with Dan Marino uh, <laughs> in that situation. Uh, speaking of situations, we talked about this a while ago about Robert Morris University uh, cutting its men's and women's hockey teams without so much as taking a vote from the Board of Trustees. So uh, school president Chris Howard has been in some hot water since then, under fire, if you will. There may be a guy... Coming to the rescue. Murray Gunty, who is the CEO of Black Bear Sports, has really been leading the charge to keep the RMU teams alive. He is also the managing partner of Black Street Capital Holdings, which is a private equity firm. Black Bear Sports Group and operating partner Ice Rink Performance. They own 27 rinks across the U.S., including Princecape Arena in South Point up in Pennsylvania. He also owns the Youngstown Phantoms, along with other junior hockey teams and some hockey tournaments. And he's trying to reach out to Robert Morris to say, hey, I want to help. He actually wants to buy the arena that Robert Morris plays in, the Island Sports Center, to take some of the financial burden off of Robert Morris. So far, nobody's gotten back to him. Gunty says, due to my co-ownership with the Phantoms, our other rinks in Pittsburgh, we have a great relationship with the Penguins. We would support any efforts they take to save the RMU men's and women's hockey, even if it means the Island Sports Center Loses RMU's attendance. So he's he's on board. He wants to do anything he can to save Robert Moore's hockey. Problem is, he's reached out to the university and nobody's gotten back to him yet. <laughs> this Howard guy's a character, man. He cut hockey and he doesn't want anything. There's been no communication whatsoever. This is according to uh, Mr. Gunty there. That's crazy. That's crazy. Get a meeting, man. Do a Zoom. Do something. You got somebody wanting to put his money up 
and save those two hockey programs at RMU, do it. I don't know why you wouldn't. It'll definitely take the heat off of you for a little bit anyway. That's incredible. Anyway. All right. uh, We're done here on this Thursday. Stick around. Amanda Mangan coming up next with Tri-State Today. Two hours of uh, local and uh, regional coverage. News coverage, that is. Again, tomorrow, Joe Shuda. It's a funky Friday. He'll have a Rush Friday feature with former Major Leaguer Lyle Overbay. And we got Nats baseball today. Final game of the four-game series against the Braves. A catch-it pregame right here at 11.50. All right, that's it. I'm done. Back tomorrow, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, see ya!